province updated the uh, data yesterday online for COVID information. I noticed this. Uh, they replaced the two daily updates with a daily epidemiological summary. And it breaks down the um, cases into demographics and features numbers on the testing. Do you think this is going to give us a more accurate picture of what's going on in the province when it comes to this COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, uh, you know, anytime there's openness and transparency and real-time data sharing uh, with the general public, that's, that's a good thing, right? This is just an honest approach and an honest reflection of what we are facing in Ontario. I'm all for it. Now, of course, there's always going to be some nitpicky things like, why don't we have this bit of data on that? Why don't we have that bit of data on it? Sure, I'm sure that it can be updated. But, uh, but in general, I think it's, uh, it's a good step. Yeah. Yesterday, we had a record surge of COVID cases. Uh, we're now at uh, 1,706 in the province. How much of a delay do we still have on those new numbers in your mind? Well, a lot of that uh, big rush and that upswing in cases is due to uh, basically filling that backlog of cases uh, from this past week. Of course, we still know there's community transmission of this infection. But, you know, really what we're looking for is uh, the number of new cases per day and also, you know, the number of hospitalizations and the number of people in intensive care units. These are the big numbers that we're, we're really going to be looking at uh, in the days ahead. And, you know, we're starting to see early signs that uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the, uh, the uh, transmission rate is slowing ever so slightly in British Columbia, perhaps even in Quebec. Uh, we really, really need to see this start in Ontario. And, uh, and hopefully it starts soon because, you know, if, if it doesn't, we know we don't have to look too far. We only have to look at, uh, at New York, which is, you know, obviously pretty close to us as to how this could how this can turn out and and this is completely preventable and we all know what we need to do to prevent this so so let's do it dr bogosh i'm looking at the demographics here that the province released yesterday under that uh, summary that they're releasing now on a daily basis uh, to tell us what's going on with covid cases in the province and one of the most startling things that i'm looking at here is the age groups the demos here 20 to 64 there are uh, 1319 cases and, you know, for so long, I think that the younger demographic thought, okay, we're fine. You know, well, yeah, we might spread it, you know, but I'm not going to die of it. What are you seeing with younger patients? Because I, uh, you know, I've been listening to some uh, doctors in hospitals in the state saying, wait a minute, we're seeing actually younger patients coming in with uh, severe effects of COVID-19. Yeah. So a, a few big points there. You know, obviously there's going to be you know, uh, th th let me start with this. The data that we have is good. It's not great, but it's still really good. It's, but it, is this truly reflective of the people who have COVID-19 in Ontario? Maybe, maybe not. We know that we were restricting testing for a period of time. So we have to be mindful of that. The second thing is where we look at places that have more experience with this and more data uh, than, than we do, we see a few trends. By and large, people over the age of 60 are, are significantly more likely to have severe infection, and especially over the age of 80. We have seen this time and time again in just about, well, oh yeah, in every country that has had this infection. Uh, so I think those are extremely important points. People forget that that doesn't mean a young person can't get this infection. Of course they can. Any single age group can get this infection. That also doesn't mean that a young person uh, is immune from having a severe outcome. You know, sadly, that's going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. And sadly, it's going to happen, you know, uh, many times. Uh, 
But at the end of the day, when we look back on this and we look at the data that's coming out, we will see a significant trend of more severe cases, more hospitalizations, and more deaths in those over 60, and especially in those over 80 years old. And I think that's really clear. But of course, if you're 20 years old, yeah, most of the time, pound for pound, you're going to have a much lighter uh, infection if you get this. But of course, there's going to be cases of young, healthy people who get really sick and sadly who succumb to this illness. The province has extended the state of emergency for another two weeks. And we are hearing about uh, severe patients that have underlying health issues. Can you clarify what we're talking about with underlying health issues? Who still has to has to be even more careful around COVID-19 because we, you know, we, the reason why the state of emergency has been extended is we're, we're not there yet with flattening the curve. Yeah, we're not, we're certainly not in Ontario. And, and I should also, even before we get to the uh, underlying health issues, I should also say that even though there may be some early shreds of evidence in places like British Columbia and, and, and Quebec, that, that doesn't mean anything. That's not time to pat ourselves on the back. That's time to dig in because we have to keep doing exactly what we're doing to maintain this. Uh, and getting back now to underlying health issues, of course, we know that not, you know, just saying that doesn't make it right, right? Not all underlying health issues are created equally. Uh, so people who are generally sicker at baseline, who have, you know, more severe chronic illness at baseline may be at greater risk to having a more severe infection. And some things that we think of uh, here, and we're obviously needing more data to drive this, but things that we think of are, you know, people with impaired immune systems, for example, with cancer or chemotherapy, people who have, you know, you know, uh, bad, uncontrolled diabetes, people who have underlying significant heart or lung disease. These are conditions that we're concerned about that, that may predispose people to having uh, a more serious uh, infection if they get this. Yeah, I heard a paramedic in New York City just at their wits end talking about the, how many uh, simultaneous calls there were for cardiac arrests yesterday. Can you talk about the, the connection that we're finding between COVID and oh, cardiac arrests? Is it I'm, yeah, is that I mean, happening like, here? I'm fascinated. I mean, so we don't have any data for this just yet, but like I am fascinated uh, and, and, and this data will come out. And, you know, uh, like, you know, here in Toronto, actually, we have some of the leading experts who are leading um, the studies that connect uh, cardiovascular outcomes, you know, heart, uh, heart attacks and strokes with other infections like influenza. You know, there's people here like uh, Dr. Jay Udell at the, at the University of Toronto who leads these studies. And I know that these studies are underway. And certainly, I don't think anyone would be surprised if there is a greater incidence of cardiovascular outcomes, like heart attacks and strokes, uh, you know, in the time after a COVID-19 infection. Obviously, we have to be aware that maybe this will pan out, maybe this won't, but uh, this is being studied actively here. And, and, and you know, it, it, I'm, I, 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 you know, obviously, we want everyone to be well. Obviously, this is, this right. is a terrible tragedy, but like the data that's coming out is just, is just fascinating, and I can't wait to see the results of these studies. You know, uh, our premier took his pickup truck to get some uh, donations of masks and supplies yesterday, and it was all over the news. Um, what are you hearing about the shortages of personal protective equipment that are being reported by some Toronto hospitals? Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is a problem, right? We're not we're going to be in this uh, situation for months and months. We need a steady supply of personal protective equipment, and you know, it's wonderful that there are. You know, we've seen, uh, for example, Michael Guerin Hospital did a community drive and got a ton of this. But we need sustained efforts. We need a sustained 
supply chain. And, you know, it's, it's great that people are reaching out. It's great that communities are, are helping out. But I really like the announcement yesterday that uh, Premier Ford made that says, you know what, we're going to put Ontario industry to work. We can make this stuff. You know, we can make the gloves. We can make the masks. We can do this. And I think that is the correct approach when global. I don't want to put any blame anywhere, Dr. Bogosh, but I got to interrupt for a second. Shouldn't yeah. we have been on this weeks ago? I mean, we knew what was coming. I mean, uh, at, at least the people in the healthcare industry had a pretty good idea of what was on our way. Listen, preaching to the choir here. Like, uh, you know, we have we've been banging the drum for two months. You know, why yeah. are there delays in diagnostic testing? Why is there a backlog? Why is there shortages of PPE? I mean, we we saw this coming two months ahead of time. And, you know, I'm not there's no fingers being pointed just yet. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, we there's many people involved in this and, you know, we should have been prepared. And I, I really, truly think at the end of the day, you know, Canada, Ontario, we're going to fare better than than most but no one's coming out without bumps and bruises we're all anyone everyone on the planet is is, is not coming out unscathed i think we yeah. will emerge from this with fewer bumps and bruises i think because i think we were better prepared are there things we could have done better absolutely absolutely and i think that would be on the diagnostic testing front and on the uh ppe front all right. Well, let's talk about the United States because they are in, in the epicenter of global pandemic now. They have 161,000 reported cases, uh, by far the highest in the world. Their healthcare workers are reusing masks in the states, and it, I'm guessing, and so I'm looking for your clarification on this. It's only a matter of time before we advise our uh, healthcare workers that they're going to have to do the same. How dangerous is this? And what is with the paper bag storage? Because I'm hearing that nurses in the states are having to take off their uh, N95s, put them in a paper bag when they leave the room and they store them in paper bags. I mean, isn't that okay. going to still encourage a contagion? Lot. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. A lot to unpack in that question. Yeah. So number one, yeah, the United States, in many parts of the United States are just getting throttled right now. And it's just really difficult to watch. And, and you know, obviously we love to have our friendly rivalry with our with our buddy of the United States. But like this is the time for love and respect. And we really hope everyone's well there. Uh, number two, they do have severe shortages of personal protective equipment there. It's not to the same extent that we have here yet, but but they do have significant shortages of personal protective equipment there. Uh, number three, you know, obviously, you got, for many reasons, you have to protect your frontline healthcare workers. You have to, right? There's the obviously there's the obvious moral reason to protect your frontline healthcare workers, and then there's the other reasons where you need them. I mean, this is a pandemic. You've got tons of sick people. You need all hands on deck, and 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 if people who are the frontline healthcare workers are are off sick, I mean, it's just going to be extremely challenging to care for your population. The fourth point is that you know they are using and reusing uh, personal protective equipment and making do uh, with the resources that they have available to them while they scramble to procure more. Is this the safest approach? No. Is this the best approach given the current situation that they're in? Yes. Is it providing them with some protection? Yes. Is this ideal? Not at all. So, you know, is Canada in that situation? No, we are not. Not yet, at least. And and really, truly, if we act now and if we can secure supply chains for PPE, 
And, and you know, then we will likely be able to dodge that situation. What's the strategy behind putting your PPE, your mask in, in a paper bag? I just really want to know that. I have no idea. I have no idea. Is that, okay. I mean, I, 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 is that just so they put it aside and then reuse it? Like, I'm, I'm not. I guess. Yeah. That. Yeah. They are. They are having to reuse that mask. Okay. So maybe, I mean, I'm just purely speculating here, but, you know, maybe that's just so <laughs> So it just doesn't contaminate other other places if it, if they're right, wow. if they're having to reuse it. That's that'd be my guess, but pure speculation on that front. Well, uh, before I let you go, very quickly, one of the grim realities of COVID nineteen is death. You know, we saw uh, how many patients pass away yesterday up in that uh, nursing home in Bob Cajun, and I got an email from someone who said that they uh, their friend just got back from Portugal with a group of friends, and several of them came down with the virus. One of them was released from the ICU and is recovering, but her husband remained there. And she was unable to visit him again. In the past weekend, she had to say goodbye to him over the phone. And a nurse held up the phone so they could talk and say goodbye for almost two hours. And then he passed away. He said, it's heartbreaking. Can you speak to just how important it is that we get it through our thick skulls, that this is a very lonely way to die. And the only way to avoid more deaths is by us staying in and stop going out. I mean, you just said it perfectly, right? I don't know how to stress this enough. We've heard it from every single health leader from coast to coast. Stay at home, protect ourselves, protect our community, protect the vulnerable amongst us, stay apart from each other, stay at home. It's as simple as that. It's just as simple as that. And, and you know, I really, truly think that most Canadians appreciate the gravity of the situation. I truly do. You know, you obviously see some high profile stories of people cutting down the little ticker tape and going into the playgrounds. And obviously that is just it's just completely inappropriate. Uh, you know, I think there's stronger enforcement of that, not just in Ontario, but across the board. That's obviously a, a major step in the right direction. And, and I know it's you know, we hear a lot of platitudes, but we, we really are all of this together. And, and it only works if we all buy into it. It really does. And uh, and we need to because, we you know, we don't have to look so far to, to, to see what happens if we don't. Dr. Bogosh, thank you so much for your time. You've been more than generous today. Have a good one.